Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Don't Praise the Machine. My name is Alexander Holland, and I'm here always with my number one pod pirate, John Maloney. You have to go, Arr, John Maloney. Hey, Amy, laddies, John Maloney. Come down to Barnacle Bills. We've got <laughs> amazing deals. Fisherman's Basket, six ninety nine. <laughs> Barnacle Bills. Come on over and keep, keep on coming back. Episode number forty seven. I feel I'm, I'm, we've got to think of something that rhymes with seven that's not heaven. Mm. Uh, Bevan. Uh, yeah, I thought of Bevan too. The old Spencer von Einem. That's not a good. That's not a good <laughs> vibe to good, start the episode. Not a good vibe <laughs> to start the episode. On. I thought the same thing. I was in the bathroom this morning and I thought, "What rhymes with forty-seven? It's not heaven." And the first thing that came to my mind was Bevan. And I went, "Nah, I've got to find something else." <laughs> yeah, people from Adelaide don't call their kids Bevan anymore. No, mm. he he did a bit of a number on that name. Yeah, he, sort he of did. Hitler's mustached that name. Yeah, you can't. Adolf and Bevan, they're both out now. <laughs> <laughs> Episode, oh, let's go to rhyming, rhymingdictionary.com is always, I mean, that's how I wrote all of the wrap-up rap. Yeah. Did you use a rhyming, you didn't use a rhyming dictionary. It showed, it showed to be honest. <laughs> uh, well, we all know that, of course, 47 is the atomic, is the atomic number of silver. Which, oh, which I know is okay, your favourite element. Mate, do I love a bit of silver. I'm always <laughs> buying it as a hedge against inflation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone's always talking about the gold standard, Kiyosaki lamenting how money was <laughs> money was, <laughs> our di- money was divorced. Oh, they <laughs> should have dad himself. They should have never uh, stopped using gold. Uh, but you're a silver oh, man. Tricky Ricky Dicky Nixon went off the gold standard and <laughs> turned the whole country's economy into a toilet for <laughs> 50 years. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I love silver. I love uh, people at dinner parties ask me what my hobbies are, and I say finding hedges against the coming inflation storm. <laughs> I'm trying to think of ways that I can protect my money from inflation. Yeah. Silver's just one string to my bow. Mm. I have a lot of I have a lot of dark money in bizarre crypto schemes. Yeah. Doge. Oh, by the by the way, we're supposed to I got a request from my sister yep. this, this week for a topic which is just going to require a lot of research which is NFTs, which I've had other people mm. ask for. I've got well. a little schlag about NFTs actually, which which I can do. Okay. Well, why don't we dip into that later? Would you like me? Yeah. To kick things off, episode 47. Kick things off. Episode number 47 with Alexander Holland and John Maloney. Don't praise the machine. Monday to Friday, 6am to 9am. Every weekday on your SAP. (laughs) 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 We need to come up with a, uh, I guess we could call it Schlag FM. Yeah. Or DP. John Maloney and L. Yeah. DP. Or DP. DPFM. 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 John Maloney and Alexander Holland, Monday to Friday on TPV. <laughs> Something that caught my attention this week, John, mm. was a bit of a news story that was popping up a lot on news sites over here and around the world. There's a bit of news 
coming from our friends across the pond. And for us as Australians, that's our friends across the Tasman. The Kiwis. Mm. Bit of news about the Kiwis. So Kiwis are getting in on the action that everybody's been loving in the last couple of years. And that's, uh, that's the anti-vaccine mandate protests. Oh, yes. And what they've been doing is they've been getting out there and saying, we don't like these vaccine mandates. Mm. Now, that in itself is not particularly interesting because that's just been happening everywhere. Mm. What really caught my eye was that the news was reporting that the authorities in New Zealand to disperse the crowds Mm -hmm. in New Zealand – had begun playing music mm. at the crowd to try and get them to leave because they'd been showing up for days in the rain. So apparently this was an idea that came from Speaker of the House Trevor Mallard. Mm-hmm. It was his idea. The duck. And I'm <laughs> That's what he's, as he's affectionately known. <laughs> The Trevor the House, uh, Speaker of the House, Trevor the Duck Mallard, <laughs> it was his decision to make, to attempt to make life uncomfortable. Uh, I'm reading here from, I just should preface as well, I had a lot of help with this from stuff.co.newzealand. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Tago Daily Times and also a little bit from the BBC and the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And... House uh, Speaker of the House Trevor the Duck Mallard, he decided that what it, what would make life uncomfortable for the protesters outside Parliament was setting up speakers and playing uh, what I heard one reporter refer to as uh, the world's most hated songs. Mm. Right. So the first the first one that they were talking about was they were playing really loudly James Blunt's You're Beautiful. <laughs> 2005's You're Beautiful by James Blunt. Yeah. And this also made for a great news story because James Blunt saw that and tweeted. He tweet because he, he always embraces the meme James Blunt because yeah. he's become that kind of soft, wet. Yeah you know, not the most critically acclaimed musician of all time. No. And so he leans into it. He has that charm of uh, somebody who knows their place in the world and doesn't try to like... Exactly. Doesn't take themselves too seriously, which is Exactly. Endearing. He's not Kanye West. Yeah. Kanye West is not embracing the meme. No, he's certainly not. And therefore he's <laughs> become the meme even more. And so, so James Blunt tweeted at the New Zealand police, give me a shout if this doesn't work, mm. which was cute. And so that made for all the, all the, all the greater news story. <laughs> but it just it just got me laughing because of how incredibly lame and ineffectual this clearly would be. And also how <laughs> sort of Kiwi it was that this is how they attempted to disperse yeah. the crowd. Yeah. This, uh, you're not dealing with a dictator here, no, because you've just you've just got yeah, you're not a bunch of kiwis. You're not like spraying people with noxious substances <laughs> or or going okay, yeah. we're switching to live ammunition now. You're like okay, <laughs> yeah. we're switching to crazy frog. If you don't fucking cut <laughs> it out, they've just gone. Look, we'll give you a beautiful by James Blunt a go, and if that doesn't work, crush them with tanks. Like, yeah, that's not what's no happening. exactly, but. It just it's it instantly caught my attention because I thought obviously this wouldn't work and it didn't. You could they they were playing footage of the crowd singing the songs. That, yeah, that that they were playing at them and they would have been playing them that loud from the story. So it was just 
it's just it just, it just made gives them a soundtrack. It doesn't really deter them. It gave them a soundtrack. So just to give you a just um, I'll just give you a sense of uh, of the songs they were playing to these to the protesters. They played Baby Shark. Oh yeah, the YouTube children's hit. Now they played Baby Shark. They played uh the mid nineties jam, the Mac Rainer. Mm. That seems like it would be it would be encouraging. But it just, it just, yeah, it made me think that the also that the person who they got to do this didn't. So first of all, this is an outdated tactic. Mm. Uh, the um, they spoke to one news organization spoke. They spoke to Wellington District Commander Superintendent Corey Parnell, who said it certainly wasn't a tactic we would encourage. Oh, so the police weren't really on board. No, it was just this speaker guy who thought oh. that. He would do it. Out for a duck. That was the headline, no doubt. Out for a duck? Because <laughs> it's the Mallard's idea. Oh, okay. Very good. <laughs> okay, right. I've connected it. Protesters were reveling in the music, dancing to songs like Baby Shark. Mm. Now, uh, so this they were blasting music. Blasting music was a dated police tactic called crime prevention through safer environmental design. Mm. So... This has been used in the past. Yeah, I've heard this of it. Play, this, yeah, this playing music to deter crowds mm. uh, has been used. It's been used in the past. It was famously, I think, f- I think it first came to the attention of the world's media when uh, everybody's favorite Panamanian dictator Manuel Antonio Noriega was oh, holed yeah. up in the Vatican embassy in Panama. Right, he had been uh, accused of rigging the 1989 election mm-hmm. and was uh, facing US indictment for drug trafficking. Right. So he he ran into the embassy and the US troops surrounded it and they famously were playing he was a massive fan of opera and yeah. it's a bit of a psyops op- op- operation. Yeah. The US military US military would rock up in Humvees and blast like American rock music okay. into the Vatican Embassy in yeah. Panama. Yeah. And the idea being that, you know, this would just happen day and night. Yeah, and, and dri- drive him slowly to despair. Yeah. And I, we can post it in the show notes, but, um, I'm yeah, I'm sure it was unpleasant for him. A lot of it is very, like, patriotic music as, as well. It's very mm. sort of pro-America, so it has a little bit more of a psychological edge than just the actual sound of yeah, the music. Yeah, I see. Yeah. I mean, he got really good music blasted at him. You can go on. <laughs> somebody's put somebody's put together a playlist on YouTube of this in the a 80s? bunch of the. Conf- this was in 1989. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he would have. Uh, 1990, I think actually. They were just putting it, putting out like maybe some early MJ. So some- I've got it open here. Somebody's called it Man. Somebody's called it uh, Manuel Noriega's favorites playlist, and yeah. you've got. You've got like God bless the USA. Uh, then you've got We're Not Gonna Take It by Twisted Sister, oh, yeah. which, which interestingly enough, the Kiwi anti-vax mandate protested played back at mm. uh, the Duck Mallard oh. during the recent protest because he was playing Macarena. Yeah, and they were like, "We'll give you, we'll, we'll we see your Macarena counter we raise you." We, we raise you with Twisted Sisters. We're not going to take it. Yeah, okay. But look at this. Like, Noriega was getting 
Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. Oh, well, tons of Van, lo, lots of Van Halen, mm. Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, Funkadelic. It's really varied. It's just like a, a pick you, me up. It's dope. Dope DJ was out there at the Noriega <laughs> in Panama in 1990. Just going. I think you've. I think you've misunderstood the brief. We're not. <laughs> we're not trying to inspire him. I like that. I like that Noriega was just tearing his hair out and and going insane. But f- yeah. for me. I'm just in pure heaven. Listen, yeah. You've got Guns N' Roses, uh, Patience. You've got Iron Maiden, Run to the Hills, Judas Priest. Oh, man. It's pretty much my, it's pretty much my friend Jordan's favorite music of all time. <laughs> it's Noriega's <laughs> least favorite, apparently. <laughs> he wanted Skid to Row, like, Youth Gone Wild. He was just crying out for Barbara Seville and Pagliacci <laughs> and God knows what. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm aware of it in a few contexts. I, mean, I remember... Um, when I around the time that I moved to London, it was kind of a thing that they were doing at train stations that were associated with high levels of crime. Yeah, was playing sort of gentle classical music, and the idea was interesting. It was like people who are, you know, like youth, that basically juvenile delinquents. Part of what they are doing is hanging out and feeling kind of cool and like being in gangs. And there's a whole sort of sensibility and aesthetic that goes along with it and you just kind of completely puncture that by making these places sort of dorky classical music yeah. locations. And the other the other example was I think when there was the, when there was the siege of uh the Koresh the Branch Davidians in correct, Waco, Texas. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Mm. I'm, 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 I didn't know that you knew that because that was in my research. I didn't know this. Mm. What did you What do you remember about that? I remember that that was a little bit more aggressive. They were playing, as I remember it, and I might be conflating this because I think they also used it as a similar thing as a tactic in the Vietnam War. Uh, ah. Although there they would use there they were doing. They would hire people to speak in Vietnamese and they would have them say things about, well, they would have them say things and they would kind of play it in such a way that they were trying to convince people that these were the voices of ghosts, of spirits, basically, yeah, and tap into this idea that they were being, I don't know, that they were being haunted. Uh, but the Branch Davidians, I remember somebody telling me that they played noises from an abattoir like soundtrack the soundtrack That's correct from, is that right so yeah. so I, i've actually found john the original new york times article from march 25th 1993 oh, entitled wow. this is while this this is this is while the siege was still going on yeah so this is this is this article is is titled decibels not bombs bombard mm. texas sect and i'll just read you some of the choice quotes here mm-hmm Throughout the night, beneath a star-studded sky and across a patch of central Texas prairie, the FBI blasts the ear-splitting tape recordings into the Branch Davidians' compound, chanting Tibetan monks, sing along with Mitch Miller Christmas carols and Andy Williams' album, oh. Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Are Made For Walking. The eclectic collection apparently intended to somehow irritate the cult leader David Koresh into surrender is just one of many increasingly weird features of the nearly month-long standoff between mm. law enforcement officials and members of a doomsday sect who engaged in who engaged federal agents in a deadly shootout near here last month. The FBI, uh, yeah, wow. 
so they were playing and they were playing that I think as a kind of horrible wall of sound maybe like sort of combining things that were discordant which I could see that being quite an effective psychological tactic if you were to play to me you know the sound of pigs being slaughtered and then play like journey over the top of that and then play frank sinatra over the top of that then the resulting yeah brain you can, brain that would be fruit, horrible sort of, yeah the sort of jolting sound would be unpleasant yeah and th- that's right um so they spoke to somebody peter devasto director of the federal department of energy's hostage negotiations program and a psychologist for the police in albuquerque said such music was a typical part of the psychological tactics used to try to get people to give up mm. in a C situation. And then this article mentions how they used it against Noriega uh, a few years earlier. Mm. The purpose of playing the music is to be disruptive, to create mild discomfort without creating a precipitous event. Mm. And, uh, yeah, convenience stores near schools sometimes use it to discourage loitering by teenagers. Mm, there you go. Um, so even back then it was being used in... Convenience stores. Yeah. Oh, there you go. And now I didn't follow up on the end of this whole David Koresh Waco thing, but I can only assume that the music worked and everyone came to some sort of peaceful agreement in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think David's um, on a speaking tour at the the moment. (laughs) He he mentions this uh, lightheartedly. He says... You know, they, they were just blasting me with Barry Manlow, so what could I do? I, I, put, I came out, I put my hands up, and uh, as yeah. we all know, everything worked out in the end. <laughs> and then I thought, I'm not the Messiah. Come on, guys. <laughs> the New Zealand one in particular made me really laugh because it seemed like <laughs> they had... It seems on one hand with the teenagers, mm. it's about playing an uncool music yeah. to disperse them. It's not actually about being kind of sonically unpleasant. Yeah. They'll often play classical music. It's meant it's meant more to attack their identity, which tends to be yeah. uh, more aligned with different styles of music that are not like classical or Kenny G. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. They're not... If you're, if you're, I remember they did it out the front of the Maya Center in Adelaide when kids were selling heroin. Oh. Um, I can't remember if it was, if it was classical music or if they, they might have been playing Kenny G, which mm. for anyone who doesn't know is Kenny G's the king of smooth jazz. I love Kenny G. Mm. They're playing Kenny G. <laughs> People were just getting smacked up and vibing to Kenny G. <laughs> <laughs> the police police didn't realize that smooth jazz is what you want to hear when you smack down. Yeah, that's right. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so as I was saying, on one hand, there's the light tactic of it attack of it attacking, say, like a teen's identity. Teens want to typically listen to yeah. hip hop or aggressive macho music that's more in line with their identity. Yeah. So you play cheesy music and they don't want to be around it because it makes them uncool. Yeah. But then you have the sort of U.S. military, which would play death metal mm. at, uh, you know, Guantanamo Bay detainees, mm. uh, you know, endlessly to break them down. Yeah, and it seems like it seems like the Kiwis, the Mallard, the Speaker <laughs> of the House, he sort of mistook his audience for <laughs> the teens that yeah. that were really tied to their identity and would be kind of embarrassed by the music that was playing. Yeah. Instead of the 
the more aggressive US sonic torture tactic, which yeah. would have been to really blast. And I can imagine unpleasant. They were probably like middle-aged hippies, half of them. So they were like, oh, well, this is Macarena, this it's- is fine. The only song they did play that I heard that would have spoken to this kind of sonically unpleasant music yeah. was they played, you might have heard it, there's a there's a popular meme TikTok sound song which is a version of Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On that's deliberately played really badly on a recorder. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, and yeah. That, they played that and that's yeah. what you would want to play. Yeah. But I just couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing. Like you've got, yeah, you've got a bunch of middle-aged you know, hippies yeah. and probably some some fairly right leaning people. And you know, you, you know, you know, these guys are absolutely going to hate. <laughs> uh, You're beautiful by James Blunt, which actually reached number four on the charts in New Zealand in 2005. <laughs> or there you go, yeah. Or oh, you know what? These crowd, you know what this crowd's really going to hate is the Macarena, which yeah. reached number two in 1997 in New Zealand. <laughs> Clearly unpopular. I mean, it's it's there's statistics showing that it was popular. Yeah, exactly. And not only that, but those people in that age bracket now mm. are the people that are out there protesting. Yeah. I mean, if anybody plays the Macarena around me and my friends, everybody's doing. Why would you play sure. the song that everybody knows a dance to? You could play. No, like, it's like oh. you'll play the Macarena or play Nutbush City Limits. Mm. That'll really move the crowd on. Yeah, exactly. Then they were like, oh. Maybe we should try some Dave Dobbin. This is what, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll give Crowded House a crack. People hate that here. You know, if there's one thing that Kiwis absolutely loathe, <laughs> it's How Bizarre by OMC. <laughs> Wanna know the rest? <laughs> hey, by the right, how bizarre. <laughs> um, and so my guess is this hasn't worked. It didn't work. They no. loved it. There was they were they were dancing in the rain. Yeah. To She smiled at me on the subway. She was with well, another man. With another man. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, I think enough time has passed that people would appreciate that song now. It just made me think that the person who chose the playlist mm. is a person who doesn't understand, who doesn't themselves like music. And yeah. they just read memes about Oh, these songs are uncool. Like it's it's like people who who oh you know it's like somebody went oh you know I'll play I'll play a Nickelback song because Nickelback is the most hated songs are from Nickelback. Yeah, yeah, play, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll play Photograph by Nickelback, and I'm like, dude, Photograph by Nickelback is a great song. Yeah, you're an idiot. You don't listen to music. <laughs> also, like it, the simplest thing, just. Just put on some static or put on one note yeah. and just continuously play the note. That's a fairly economical way to create an unpleasant sonic environment. But it's it's a, it's a very nice, it's a very quaint thing that they were like unwilling to stick the boot in by doing something genuinely unpleasant. They were like, let's just yeah. dissuade them by making it a slightly suboptimal environment. <laughs> <laughs> and, and which, 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 of course, is completely subjective. And to mm, me, exactly. they've made the environment more pleasant. Mm. Like, especially because I'd get to show off because I know all the words to all those songs. So I'd be turning <laughs> to my fellow anti-vaxxers. Yeah. And I'd just be going, guys, this is absolutely one of my favorite songs. <laughs> and I know all the words to this. <laughs> now, don't you worry about my boyfriend. 
the boy whose name is Vittorino. <laughs> oh, Alex knows all of these songs. Thanks, the Dark Mallard, for, for helping yeah. us out with this amazing playlist for our anti-vex <laughs> protest. Ducky on your pal. Apparently, <laughs> apparently they were also playing. Um, they were playing vaccine information advertisements. So yeah. into splice. So they'd play. Oh. They'd they'd play a little bit of. Uh, Baby Shark, and then five minutes of just public health messaging about mm, vaccines. I see, and and then back to "You're the Voice" by John Farnham. Yeah, that's fairly naive. I mean, those people would have been aware of the fact that <laughs> vaccines are uniformly regarded as good for your health. They're not going to be persuaded by that information. Uh, oh, so it's so it's so Kiwi. I love that. I genuinely regard them, I generally regard them as having more progressive law and order solutions than us. And in most cases, that's a good thing. You know, they're less keen to like throw people in prison for years and years and put in mandatory sentencing for, you know, spitting and uh, jaywalking. But, uh, But this seems like probably the outer limit of that approach. Uh, <laughs> Where maybe there was, maybe there was a, a some cause to exercise some authority, but those sweet kiwis, they just don't have the stomach for it. <laughs> Jacinda Ardern, your week is pus. What you should be doing is hitting everybody with actual sonic weaponry. Yeah. These things exist. What you want to be doing is yeah. you want to be using, according to Wikipedia... Give people the old... Various... Uh, give people the old Havana syndrome. <laughs> Correct, John. Correct. <laughs> I could just use you. I don't need Wikipedia. I could just get you. This is all This is all lives in your brain. Something You've got Wikipedia downloaded in yeah, your own brain, I don't know. John. This is just like... I don't know. I, th- I don't know if it's just brain imitating internet over the years. I've just <laughs> become a repository of irrelevant information. But I do, I do, I do find Havana syndrome fascinating. Yeah, Havana syndrome is fascinating. Mm. Sonic and ultrasonic weapons are weapons of various types that use sound to injure or incapacitate an opponent. And John, you're famously referring to the sonic attacks that may have taken place at the American embassy in Cuba in 2016 and 17. Mm. Sometimes this, uh, the results of which, sometimes referred to as Havana syndrome, mm. still an ongoing, ongoing mystery. Yeah, there were people in the American embassy in Cuba that started experiencing hearing loss and other, uh, I, th- I think, was it just, was it hearing loss or was it a series of... I think it was of, a series um, of symptoms. They experienced um, nausea, disorientation, kind of cognitive impairments, that sort yeah. of stuff. And, and the theory was that the Cuban government, the Cuban military, may have been hitting them with some kind of sonic weapon. Yeah, or possibly that some other be detected by the or microwave. They said as well. Exactly, possibly some other, you know, state actor or non-state actor, because it's now happened yeah. around the world. The most unsettling story, which is probably a little dark for the podcast, but we'll see, uh, is that they they played it that they. they this was experienced in, I think, in the US, um, near a foreign embassy, and people were woken in the night, suffering from sudden onset of headaches and nausea and so on, and I think maybe even 
seizures. And they went into the the children's bedroom, and the children were both asleep, but they were kind of moving in unison what? somehow in their sleep. Like there was something going on that was like, like doing the Macarena. Yeah, exactly. They were doing the Macarena in their sleep. There was something going on where it was, you know, stimulating a particular part of their brains that was making was them move in unison. a part of their brain known as the Nutbush City Limit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the hip, hippocampal city limit. Um it so, was. It had reached deep into a, <laughs> into the achy, breaky stem. <laughs> exactly. Don't break my stem. <laughs> um, yeah, it's also been reported that China has developed the first handheld portable sonic gun mm. to target protesters. Uh, so we can all look forward to getting hit with that in the coming years. Um, <laughs> I love how I love how like a subtext of the show is just your paranoia about a Chinese invasion. <laughs> I know I'm Ken Brockmaning this uh, whole thing where I'm just going uh, well, one thing's well, one thing's for sure. Uh, there are no the our new overlords are on their way. <laughs> And uh, they will soon be here. And I, for one, would like to welcome our new overlord. I, as a trusted public figure, can be... <laughs> um, I was wondering, and I thought I thought a nice little wrap-up to this, John, might yeah. be to ask you, mm. what could be blasted at you in the Panamanian, in, in the Vatican Embassy? What could Ooh. be blasted? What could be blasted at you at... The Vatican Embassy in Panama, mm. when you've rigged an election and you're holed up there because the Americans have have said that you're a drug trafficker who rigs elections, what are they going to blast at you that's <laughs> going to make you come out? Uh, I, I um, this sort of this sort of dovetails with with what we were discussing last week was this idea of music and shame because we were talking about how a friend of mine didn't like that I was broadcasting to their Facebook followers that I was listening to Blue by Eiffel 65. Yeah. I mean, and they thought that was uncool. I've got a limited appetite for Blue. If you played that over and over, I might <laughs> capitulate. Uh, maybe another one which I, you know, I'd like to hear it once, but if I listened to it a hundred times, I might crack, would be uh, Cotton Eye Joe by the Rednecks. Oh, um, yeah. Relentless Cotton Eye Joe. Uh, Memories by Maroon 5, that would probably do me in. How does that go? um, It goes, hang on. Memories. Yeah. It goes. And it's it's not the worst song, but if I hear it twice in a row, I'll basically submit to whatever I'm being asked to yeah. submit to. You're in a lot of you're in a lot of Ubers, so you must hear a lot of That's basically radio where I hear jams. It. Yeah, I do I do hear one of the inspirations for the show is Australian commercial radio, of course, and yeah. mo- most of the time when I hear that it's in Ubers, and that's also where I hear all of my Maroon 5. And I'm recently <laughs> I recently Shazam that song because I was like who the fuck is responsible for this mess? And then, <laughs> and then, turns out, unsurprisingly, it was Maroon Five. Adam Levine. Yeah, good on you, Adam. 
You <laughs> maniac, you son of a bitch, you've done it again. You magnificent <laughs> bastard. <laughs> um, I was thinking what could get me to, what mm. could smoke me out of the Vatican's embassy in Panama City after I'd rigged the 1989 election and yeah. trafficking drugs. Yeah. And uh, I thought sticking with the Kiwi theme, uh, if you just played radio DJ Zane Lowe's interview with Jaden Smith or any <laughs> any Zane Lowe interview with any celebrity, to be honest, I'd be out pretty quick. <laughs> I like I'd, you'd have to show the video too, though, because his presentation is part of the Zane Lowe, part of what rubs you up the wrong way about Zane Lowe, where he like where he like acts like a kind of like he's kind of emceeing in the interview, and he kind of goes. <laughs> Oh yes, 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 facts, and then and then like acts like an explosion. Yes. There's been an explosion then, at the microphone. Then he he fires off like sound effect explosion <laughs> sound effects, and then sort of backs away from the microphone. <laughs> Bro, you've done it, Jaden. How have you done it again with this album? You've absolutely changed the world, brother, and you've done it. And then Jaden goes one hundred percent, and then. Zane plays an explosion sound effect <laughs> and acts like the mic's exploded and he comes Why back you, and then Zane goes. How do you keep doing this? I just don't get it, bro. Facts, facts, facts. Facts, facts, facts. Jaden, you and me are family and I've loved you since ever since your dead <laughs> made Independence Day. And I knew that there was something special in the Smith family. <laughs> Smith's a good word to say in the Kiwi accent. Smith. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Smuths. And I'm not talking it's about Smuths Cross. It's Jaden. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the Manchester band. I'm talking about <laughs> Jaden. I'm talking about Wallow. I'm talking about Wall. <laughs> and I'm talking about Jada Punkett. <laughs> it's the Smuths with me, Zane Lowe, Zane on Lowe. Apple Music. <laughs> Zane Lowe and the Smuths on Apple Music. <laughs> I've just lost, we've just lost our entire New Zealand audience. Yeah, sorry everyone. We do have we do have a small following in New Zealand. We have a small key following. Also, both me and you have bought tickets to Crowded House. Yeah, love it. This them. is one of those things where we say, look, some of our best friends are Kiwis. Yeah, we can't be racist against Kiwis. No, I love some them. of our best friends are. I mean, none of my best friends are. Although Annie uh, is a kind of my friend Annie is now an adopted Kiwi. Uh, yeah, her family are all Kiwis. <laughs> Her husband and and children. Shout out to my friend Elena. But musically, we're talking Crowded House. Mm. We're talking Dave Dobbin. Scribe. We're talking OMC. We're talking She Had for all of those 90s indie kids. Yeah. Don't forget Scribe. How many? Scribe. How many dudes you know roll like this? Not many. Man, I love Scribe. I don't know anybody. When are you seeing seeing Crowdies? Uh, in April at the Sydney Maya Music Bowl here in Melbourne. I've never seen them before. I'm quite excited. Just if you're listening, guys, uh, the Finn brothers, please don't <laughs> please don't pr- play anything from your new album because I'm not interested. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just 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 do don't dream it's over. Uh, that'll be fine. You know what? It's really funny. I was um I was doing the research for this last night. And I did it until 2 a.m. And then I had to set my alarm to be up early enough to do the record this morning with you. Yeah. And as I was set, and I turned my radio on yeah. to set my alarm. And the radio was playing um, 
Weather with you. Oh. Crowded house. It was so weird. How it's 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 such that iconic intro. It's you can tell from the first and yeah, it is. It's great. Four seasons in one day. My friend John Howell and I, many years ago, for some reason we had a chicken schnitzel for lunch, and then we got to the pub at dinner and thought maybe we just get a two a, a second schnitzel for the day, and so to this day we will sing to each other. Two schnitzels in one day. (laughs) (laughs) Lying in the depths of your imagination. (laughs) Crumbs above and crumbs below. (laughs) I will risk my health again, again. I've got a little bit of a research-heavy piece as well, actually. We've obviously both had a bit of time and energy this week. One of the things as we approach 52 episodes, I think back to some of my earlier schblags that never got properly articulated. You know, I was never quite able to refine them into a story, but they've kept coming back to me as interesting ideas that I'm keen to share with our audience. And one of those is this idea of people who for various reasons like to um, pretend to be different animals and uh, <laughs> and and it just fascinates me and has for many years. I remember when I was still at uni, so, you know, I don't know, 50 or 60 years ago now I think, and um, and there was a story about a man on a hillside in Utah well, I think initially it wasn't clear if it was a man or a woman, but it was a person dressed in kind of head-to-toe white fleece on a really remote hillside in the mountains in Utah. And there was a photographer who happened to be out doing nature photography in Utah and he, and he saw this herd of goats on the hillside and then he saw this strange, seemingly human figure dressed as a goat in a white fleece outfit on his hands and knees or her hands and knees, basically following the goat herd. And when the photographer was seen by this person in a costume, the person in the costume sort of froze and sat down on the hillside and looked a bit undignified. And then eventually the photographer left and didn't was none the wiser as to who this person was. And it turned out some weeks later that somebody was identified as uh, a local hunter who was dressing up that way so that he could get closer to the herd. Apparently this uh. was the tactic that he'd employed around the world and uh, it was a, it was fairly clear that that's who it was. And it was disappointing to me at the time because I was 
in my final year of legal of studying law and I felt under a fair bit of pressure and I was like, yeah, I can totally relate to the idea of just throwing off the burden of humanity and becoming a goat on a hillside. And, uh, and I was disappointed that that wasn't what was happening. But then to my delight, about four years later, so this is in, or a little bit more than that, in 2016, a guy, Thomas Thwaites, who was a, a scientist and I think a kind of just a sort of intellectually curious in- individual and a bit of a design, a bit of a design prodigy as well, decided um, that he was going to try this for real. And it's a coincidence really, because I think he was initially just thinking, I'd love to experience life as a different animal. And he went to a a shaman and for some reason the shaman, 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 potato, potato, the shaman, I think she convinced him that he should be a goat. He was initially thinking elephant and she said, no, I mean, elephants kind of are a bit too different and I I think that would be... It's a bit passe now. Yeah, exactly. I did an elephant this morning. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Everyone wants to be an elephant. Be a goat. So Tom built an exoskeleton, which basically allowed him to move in a more agile way as a quadruped. And it's quite a sight to behold. Maybe we can put a link to it in the show notes. But uh, it's it was a kind of thing that, that lengthened his arms into kind of four legs and then put shock absorbers on the ends of each of his limbs so that he could clamber around on a mountainside. And he built a prosthetic stomach that allowed him to um, kind of digest grass. So what he would do was eat the grass, chew it up, spit it into this prosthetic stomach. The stomach would ferment the grass and then he would sort of drink the brine that was produced from fermented grass. And uh, so wow. he was he was very committed to it. And he and he thought and he and he was doing lots of research on goats and how they perceive the world. One of the things he learned was that they don't really seem to have an episodic memory the way that humans do. They kind of live in the moment in a very sort of animalistic way. So he, at one point, used some kind of magnetic transcranial magnetism on his brain to what? Uh, to, to short-circuit his brain so that he was kind of forced to abandon episodic memory as well. So he was kind of incredibly committed to it. He said in an interview that he wanted to, quote, take a holiday from being human and see the world through an anim- animal's eyes. And, uh, of course, he was persuaded that being a goat was the way to go. Uh, and, he, and he talked about it as a, as you can imagine, a kind of mindful experience as something that for at least sort of fleeting moments freed him <laughs> up from the kind of cognitive burden of being a human person. When he was on hands and knees on the hillside, with the goats, he said after a few days of living and sleeping with the goats, they chilled out around him. They began to be, they began to see him as one of their own. And in fact, one of the goats in particular seemed to take a shine to him. So the rest of the herd would be doing its thing, but him and this other goat would be kind of interacting and mucking around and rolling, rolling around, cuddling, rolling around, cuddling. Yeah, exactly. Not quite sure how far he took it. But uh, just, just just while he sort of drank grass juice and violently <laughs> gave himself electroshocks to the brain. Yeah, 
Exactly. This is living. Yeah, this is the way to be. This is mindful. <laughs> and then and then even more recently there was a uh Oxford Don who came out of the woodwork and was a sort of similarly inclined inquisitorial person who had experienced life in various sort of simulations of different animals. So he'd been by his own account a badger, an otter, a fox, a deer, and he's a just bird. choosing like posh English yeah, exactly. countryside animals. He basically he must have read Wind in the Willows one too many times. <laughs> uh, and a toad, <laughs> a squirrel, exactly, a deer, <laughs> and uh, and sometimes it would just be for a few hours. Sometimes it would be for several weeks, and he would dig a hole in the earth. For example, when he was trying to be a badger, he would dig a hole in the ground, right. live in the hole. He would sort of <laughs> impede, he would Im- deliberately impair his sight so that he had to rely more on smell. He would sort of root around through the through the kind of leaf litter, and uh, he would also apparently uh, try to vomit so that he could experience rechewing his food like some animals right. do with their cud. And he too, and he too described fleeting moments of escape from what he called the tyranny of human co- cognition. Yeah, famously, he ate worms and uh, noticed that there were regional differences in the tastes of worms. And he uh, <laughs> sniffed his own shit because he was because the animals do that, and he thought, "Well, I better do that." What's the what does that? It tells you if your diet's on point. I don't know if it so much told him anything useful, but he said. <laughs> It was one of the things that people after this experience would, because he wrote a book about it. He said people would ask him a lot about sniffing his own shit. And he was just like, you know, I just thought it was interesting that people are so disgusted by their own shit when a lot of other animals aren't. Right. So I wanted to kind of understand what was behind that and reflect on how far we are from our kind of natural state when maybe we wouldn't have been quite so disgusted. So yeah. this has long been an area of interest to me because, you know, I've I've got a fairly stressful job and <laughs> there are times when, like on the eve of a trial, I might be like, oh, I fucking wish I was a goat right now, just like living in the moment. But it, maybe you'd have some like sexual rivalry with other goats, but basically you're pretty carefree, you know, just spend your entire day chewing cud. And this was something that I've previously thought about bringing up on the podcast, but hadn't. And then last weekend, uh, we went up to uh, the country for a bit of a summer break, myself and Jacinta and some of our friends, and they were away for the day doing a doing a sort of hike, which I, which was a bit beyond my capacity. So I stayed back, and I thought, well, maybe this is a good time to experiment with trans speciesism. So. <laughs> We were in a little guest cottage on the edge of this property. It was a pretty humble but very secluded and private place away from prying eyes. And, you know, I didn't have any, like, I didn't have any prosthetic stomach. I didn't have an exoskeleton. The shock um, machine. I didn't have a shock machine. And, uh, and I didn't want to try anything rustic that might sort of permanently damage my brain. So I thought, well, maybe I'll start modest, you know, I don't want to do anything too exotic. Um, and I thought, what's something that I can simulate within the confines of the guest cottage without too much equipment? 
I've always had dogs growing up, but I quite like dogs and I find them quite relatable as animals. So I thought well, the other obvious choice is a cat. I've always disliked cats or not right. so much disliked, but I've never really personally connected. I've never thought about myself as a potential cat owner because I find them mm. harder to read and sort of inscrutable. I don't really understand their inner life. I don't really understand whether they actually enjoy being around people or just see us as a way to attain food. So I thought, well, maybe that's a good reason to... Yeah, um, as an exercise in empathy. Exactly, as an em- exercise in radical empathy and as my first foray into kind of trans-speciesism, I would experiment with being a cat. So I just thought... <laughs> so I spent the day doing that and I just thought um, I would share with you my diary from... This is from yes. the 12th of All February, right. 2022. It's a brief... John's entry feline thoughts my feline thoughts 12th of february 2022 today i was a cat the only sounds i made were and meow i and meow i played with some yarn and i licked myself until i vomited although it was just regular vomit and not really a fur ball i pooed in the house and i beheaded a native bird I love milk and fish, and I dislike being touched. Psst, meow, I am cat. So that's just a, I mean, it's a modest first experiment. Uh, Dipping your paw into the water. <laughs> exactly. And, Trans-speciesism. <laughs> and and uh, maybe, maybe over the coming weeks and months, if I go deep, I can, uh, I can let people know. Uh, how that how that goes, um, and you know, by all means, if others have curiosity about this or have acted on it uh, or have been different animals for a time, I don't know. I don't know what. Uh, I, I guess ideally, something like a goat would be would be best. But you know, I'm just going to start with your domestics and then work my way up to something more exotic. As a lover of native Australian animals, I think I would like to start as a kangaroo and mm. I would start as Joey and out the back of my house, <laughs> I would build a large kangaroo out of wood and fur, a mama kangaroo, Yeah, and I would build a pouch and then a big pouch that would fit me and then I would fill that pouch yeah. with, a wet, with a wet slime mm. and then when people said, when people said to me, Come inside, Alex. It's time to go to bed. I would say, I am home. And I'll <laughs> climb into the slime pouch. Into your own pouch. I would sleep pouch. in there. Yeah. I would sleep. I would sleep in. Oh, imagine the, that. Deep comfort. And maybe as the, and as the start. Deep coziness. Of, deep coziness. As the start of my, I would want to start my kangaroo journey like all kangaroos start in that I would like to climb out of my Mother's vagina and crawl <laughs> up her stomach into the pouch as a little embryo. I'd be pink yeah. and nude. I mean, I'm pretty. I am pretty pink when I'm nude anyway. Pink so and, that would be as a ginger. Yeah, pink and slimy. And then I climb in the pouch, and they say you must come out, Alex. And I say it's going to be months until I'm full kangaroo. So <laughs> get used to me being in here for a while. All my nutrients are in here because 
I would have filled the slime pouch with Cheerios mm. to give me nutrition for all the months it's going to take me to blossom into a beautiful big red. <laughs> I did find when I was living in the country during the first lockdown that uh, I was frequently envious of Australian animals because there's not really any apex predators left that are at least native. So if you're a wombat, for example, mm. or a kangaroo, I mean, you don't really have much to worry about. You know, nothing's going to, I mean, maybe if you're very little, you might get a wedge-tailed eagle coming to get you. But once you're fully grown, just just basically, you know, if you're a wombat, you spend most of your day in a burrow, you come out, you have a bit of a poke around, you do a yeah. weirdly square-shaped poo, cube-shaped poo, they're famously... <laughs> They famously poo cubes um, and, I don't know, eat some grass or whatever they do and then, you, then you're then you off again. Um, yeah. And unless anyone's trying to eat you, and I think wombat is actually- Nobody's eating wombat. I think people used to and, and uh, apparently it's quite nice, but it's not really on many menus these days. And even as a wild kangaroo, you've got pretty low odds of anyone trying to hunt you. Uh, yeah. So you, it's a good life. And I just thought, why am I, why am I being a lawyer? <laughs> why am I a man? Why am I complicating this? You know? <laughs> it's, now that you've learned that transspeciesism is an option. Yeah. This is way too complicated. I just need to subsistence grass eating. That's my future. I'm just, I'm just imagining you at the end of a difficult trial and. Yeah. You manage to get your client not guilty and then sort of it's the end of the movie and the music starts playing and you just sigh, a big sigh, and you take your wig off and you go, everybody, I've got an announcement that I want to make. <laughs> I've been a lawyer. I've enjoyed being a man. I've had a beautiful life. Mm. I'm almost, I've been a man for almost 40 years and I've been a barrister and I have a wonderful girlfriend, a beautiful family. But it's a dream that I've always had, <laughs> and it is mostly to be a wombat. <laughs> and then I just, and then I just take off my jabbo and my gown and my wig, and I put on a wombat pelt, <laughs> just like a cheap, a cheap sort of wombat cap that you've got from <laughs> from like Amazon wombat. It's just like a little furry. Like a little bonnet with some ears on it. Yeah. And then just lick my paws and start kind of <laughs> gently ambling to the door. And then the whole gallery erupts in the in applause and the judge goes, order, order. <laughs> there he goes, waddling off into the sunset. And then the credits roll on, on that year's. Oscar award winning film yeah. from Barrister to Wombat. <laughs> from court to outback. Mm. You could just call it kangaroo court if I was to turn into a kangaroo. Oh, that would be good. Yes. Mm. You just for the purposes of the film, mm. kangaroo court. Just mm. you and your um wife having these kind of screaming arguments because <laughs> It like in like like in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, how he can't get the mountain out of his brain, and he's like making everything out of he's making the mountain out of mashed potato. Yeah, 
You're just <laughs> making kangaroo everything. <laughs> my, I just, my, my wife gets upset because I've like wrecked the sewing machine trying to build a kangaroo skin pelt for myself. <laughs> Your trial starts tomorrow. What are you doing? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know a cat. I don't understand it either. It's just something I need to do. I can't stop. <laughs> I can't sleep. <laughs> Keep making bouncing noises. <laughs> Honey, what if I just went, I don't want to hear this anymore. <laughs> what if I just bounced everywhere? Yeah. What if I had big, would you love me if I had big padded feet and just bounced everywhere? <laughs> I don't think, I don't think I can come with you on this journey. <laughs> guys, guys out there listening, don't praise us. Why don't you write in and tell us what animal you're going to be when you give up on mm. society? Yeah. Stop. Stop being part of the system. <laughs> Drop out. This is what Timothy Leary was suggesting. Everybody. Yeah. Choose your favorite animal. Yeah. And actually taking a bunch of acid would definitely help. That would definitely to help. To get you into the mood for transspeciesism. Yeah. Drop a bunch of acid. Tune in. Drop what out. What was it? What did he say? What was it? I'm missing one. There Turn on, tune in, drop out. Turn on. Yeah. Tune in. Drop out. Mm. Become a wombat. Thanks, everybody. Although it would be hop out, wouldn't it? thanks everybody for joining us on this week's episode of don't praise the machine it's been episode number 47 and we've loved every minute of it it's me john maloney and as always my beloved pod brother alexander holland wishing you a healthy wealthy and wise week (laughs) until next time we'll catch you next week at the podcast